The world is experiencing a level of disruption and business risk not seen in generations. Some companies freeze and fail, while others innovate, advance, and even thrive. The difference is resilience. With data now acknowledged as an important element of real-time decision-making, perhaps it is time for organizations in Asia to make a serious effort at achieving data resilience. And if they do, how does an organization achieve this level of resilience? With us today on Podcasts for Future CIO is Joseph Yang, General Manager. Manager for Storage and Data Services at HPE Asia Pacific. Joseph, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you and good afternoon. Could you define for us what exactly is data resilience in the context of today's hybrid on-prem plus multi-cloud environment? Right. So I would say there are multiple aspects that we need to consider when we talk about data resilience. I think the first and simplest is about data availability. Is your data available to be used by your applications 24 by 7 without any disruption? Right. So that's the very simplest uh, definition. The second one would be data durability. What we mean by data durability is resistance against loss of data. So the first one is availability to be accessed. The second one is durability and risk of loss of that data. The third one is actually security of the data. When we talk about ransomware protection and prevention, as an example, if you look at how ransomware attacks have matured, we started off with the bad actors coming in and encrypting your data, preventing you from being able to access your production data. The next level of maturity is they got a bit smart because people could recover from their backups. So they started attacking the backups. Now the most nefarious attacks will not just prevent you to access your data, they will actually exfiltrate and take your data out of your network, steal your data, and then put you at ransom and say, hey, if you do not pay the ransom, we're going to go and release your data to the dark web and publish it for other people to access. The last situation is extremely dangerous because how do you trust these guys that even if you pay the ransom, they will not afterwards go and sell your data because they're already ethically challenged, right? You know, even paying the ransom may not secure you from the risk and the impact of that data loss. Those would be the three areas that I would say is important when it comes to you know, overall data resilience and the resilience strategy. Do enterprises in Asia, Yor, do they understand this definition that you've set up as far as data resilience is concerned? I would say definitely for the first two, I think customers are attuned to that. Everyone knows that for the second one, when it comes to durability, they need to have their backups. You know, they need to protect their data from data loss. I think that one, everyone knows about. The first one, when it comes to availability, it depends on the business. So I'll give you an example. So 10 years ago, I was working with, as a customer, a big uh, media firm in Hong Kong. And for their business, the most important thing was to ensure that they can print their newspaper on time every morning. So they they had their data center co-located with their printing press. So we talked to them about disaster recovery, off-site data centers, et cetera. And the CIO came to me and said, hey, brother, you know, if my printing press goes down, if that building burns down, I can't print the paper anyway. I have no need to have disaster recovery. So for them, you know, that availability was, wasn't that important because it was tied to availability of, of the printing press building. Now, in today's age, when online media is more important than the printed media, then having 
having that 100% availability of your online presence becomes much more important than whether your printing presses are available or not, right? Definitely, I think as we transform our businesses, availability becomes very important. Now, the third one is security of your data. I think this is an area where businesses are a little bit less mature, but definitely moving more towards maturity as you know the news of, of these hackers coming in and stealing data or data leakage comes out. There's been a lot of movement towards the cloud. What would be the top three prevailing misconceptions around multi-cloud as inherently resilient? I think number one, cloud, most of the hyperscale public clouds are not inherently resilient, right? It depends on your application architecture, but I think most of our applications today are still running on a traditional, you know, virtual machine type of an architecture, right? If you go and dig into a little bit more depth into the availability guarantees of the public clouds, as an example, uh, Azure, and we can refer to their website separately on this, but it's a four nines guarantee for Azure VMs. When we talk about enterprise IT, we talk about 6979 in terms of availability. But yeah, you're getting a 49s guarantee. And even with that, there's a caveat that you architect your application in the cloud so that you have multiple VMs in different what we call availability zones. There may be an assumption that you put a VM onto that platform and you don't have to worry about it. That is not actually true. So number one, I would say cloud is not actually inherently available. Your applications have to be adapted to that. Number two is is how you protect your data. In an on-premise environment, the capabilities for data protection are very mature. So in terms of external storage, a lot of them already have very good snapshot type capabilities where you can easily restore your snapshots in a very short amount of time, et cetera, right? Which helps to protect your data. It's also a lot easier to do backups of your data and do multiple site backups, right? Moving data between locations does not cost extra money. In the public cloud though, depending on the vendor, snapshots might not be as mature and easy to use as they would be in a mature on-premise enterprise environment. And moving data between locations usually incur what is known as egress costs. So even if it stays within that cloud vendor, but the data is being moved from Singapore to North America, you're going to pay for the amount of data that you transfer. Uh, and it's by the amount that gets transferred. So that could add up to significant costs to you know have availability. And it's not something that is built in just by putting it on the platform. And the third? The third one I would say is that you don't have to, you know, re-architect your application. In the end, this is the thing. When we talk about highly available cloud applications, we think about stuff like Facebook hardly ever goes down, Google, Gmail hardly ever goes down. Actually, the architecture of those applications are very, very different from traditional enterprise applications. They were built to be resilient in a cloud environment. So in order to get that resiliency, it pretty much means a rewrite of the application. Yeah, very scary thought. And most people probably don't know that when they're being sold the idea to the cloud because it's cheaper, better, faster, more availability guaranteed. Than not exactly. <laughs> and the guarantee isn't there. That's the thing, right? And that's like, true. Yeah. <laughs> what needs to happen then if an organization wants to achieve data resilience and they are either already in a hybrid cloud environment or along the way moving towards a hybrid environment? You know, we can go quite in depth into this. This is an involved discussion, right? If you look at the traditional on-premise environment, enterprise IT, the bread and butter that, that HPE has been selling our customers, the architecture for resiliency is very straightforward. If you look at standard on-premise IT with enterprise storage, virtualization on top, there is a very crisp architecture for resilience where you do storage replication. So you have two copies of the data in two different locations. 
instance, the virtualization layer can do a stretch cluster. So anytime you have one location fail, the failover can be automatic. And then you can leverage backup solutions to provide a third location and a third copy of the data. Any application that you put on this platform is protected inherently. In an on-premise environment, it is relatively straightforward to build an end-to-end available environment from an infrastructure point of view, and then have all of your applications that are put on there protected to a decent enough degree, okay? However, when you talk about the public cloud, as we just mentioned, especially for traditional applications, the public cloud isn't resilient by default, okay? Number one, you don't have that multi-data center replication built into the base of the cloud VM infrastructure. What ends up happening is you protect your workloads VM by VM. So the architecture changes. On-premise, you protect everything all at once. In the public cloud infrastructure, you're protecting virtual machine by virtual machine, application by application. So in the end, it's kind of back to the world of single servers standalone that we had before VMware came in and changed the world because it is very much a VM by VM type of a protection. And so that leads to a very different model when you think about how you do protection, right? And it also comes into how you operate the cloud as well. Because if you look at how especially enterprise customers will leverage the public cloud, they will tend to be, you know, independent line of businesses will build their own applications that they put on the cloud. And it's not necessarily that the different applications will follow single operating model. And because of the fact that one of the reasons people want to use the cloud is for agility, when you have a corporate IT defined single operational model, that may actually reduce your agility. Is there a one single solution to this problem? Not really. Different vendors will come in and say their way is the best, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example, right? You talk to, you know, a lot of the HCI vendors, right? Hyperconverged vendors. What they will say is in order to be able to run hybrid on-premise as well as in the public cloud, use my software, use my HCI software, run it in the public cloud as well. And then you can use the same operational model across on-premise and multi-cloud. The problem with that approach, even though it seems very attractive, you're standardizing on a single operating model is that you're limiting yourself in terms of the capabilities on the public cloud that you will use. And it's also very costly because rather than running on the native public cloud capabilities, so as an example on AWS, you would run on EC2 instances on top of their elastic block storage. You're now running on a custom hypervisor, running on a custom storage layer and not using any of these native cloud capabilities, right? And then you're paying the licensing for this custom stack. In that situation, it may end up being cheaper just to keep everything in a colo type environment rather than going to the public cloud, potentially. So that's that's one approach that people come in and say that you could use, right? If you look at the route that HPE is taking, and we're building a very different model in terms of what we mean by hybrid, right? And we look at it in, uh, I would say, three different layers. First thing is orchestration. How do we give our customers a similar experience, regardless of whether their workload is running on the private cloud or in a public cloud. Okay. So actually last June during our discovery event, we announced a new offering called GreenLake for HCI. And one of the exciting capabilities of this is a cloud console, which can manage your on-premise environment using our proprietary HCI platform, but can also manage in the same way, AWS native environment. So now you think a single console to manage and automate private and public cloud. However, orchestration isn't, you know, the end of the game, right? Mm -hmm. People want to be able to back up their data as well. 
And so we also announced our, our backup a service, GreenLake Backup and Recovery, or, or HP Backup and Recovery Service, which operates on that same HCI platform that is proprietary on-premise. We now extend that to AWS as well. And we use the same policy. So you say a VM needs to be backed up every half an hour with a snapshot, every day with a full backup. And that is policy number one, right? We can apply that same policy to both the on-premise environment as well as the public cloud environment. And those VMs will be protected in the same way, regardless of whether they're on-premise or in the public. Now, third thing we need the ability to do is to move your workloads between the clouds. And the last thing that we announced was HP GreenLake for Disaster Recovery. Now, actually, what this is, is replication. So we can now move workloads from on-premise to public cloud and back again, fully orchestrated with very minimal downtime as we shift over. Um, However, the VMs are running on their native environment in the location where they are, right? So when you're in AWS, you are running on EC2, on elastic block storage. When you are running in our proprietary cloud, you're running on VMware VMs, running on our Electra storage. So what happens there is it actually takes away lock-in for customers. If the customers want to move completely into the cloud and just use AWS capabilities, they can just remove our layer on top. Their VMs will continue to run without having to continue to pay HPE, right? So there's no lock-in there. However, we believe we're going to give them a good enough experience that they will stay with us. And currently it's with AWS. We're going to extend this to other clouds in the future so that you'll be able to move data between all the clouds without having to run on our platform at the base. I was just about to ask you, what about the other platforms? But okay, thank you very much for that one. Okay, so you gave us a description of the misconceptions, uh, the things that we need to do, both for the private and the public cloud. What about in terms of involvement within the team? Who exactly needs to get involved in terms of architecting a data resilience strategy? And normally architects and supervisors are one thing, but there's also the people who actually do the day-to-day work, right? (laughs) Making sure that the VMs are running, the backups are being done, the integrity of the data as well as the systems are in place. Who needs to get involved within the team and what type of credentials or qualifications does an enterprise need to have in order to ensure that their multi-cloud hybrid environment is uh, resilient and all that? So I, I think that the skill sets are changing and evolving, right? And I would say even within a customer's IT environment, you know, if I were a CIO, the way that I would structure a team would be very different from traditional. Traditionally, you would have a very clear divide between your infrastructure team. Right? It used to be you would have storage team, server team, network team, right? They all converge into an infrastructure team. So you would have an infrastructure team and then you would have your apps team. One of the trendy things over the last 10, 15 years that, you know, have enabled the cloud and all also has been enabled by the cloud as this concept of DevOps, where there is now a blurring of the line between application and development and the infrastructure side. And I think this is something that will continue to merge together, right? Because as I said, you know, previously availability, probably 90% of the responsibility for data resiliency was given to the infrastructure team. They own the backups, they own the resilient data center, they own the way that the VMs were set up so that you'd have high availability. In the public cloud, it becomes an application by application problem. And that's talking about VMs. When we talk about cloud native applications, that's a whole different world altogether where the applications themselves have to be built to be inherently resilient. So you want to write your data and replicate them within the application in the three locations. And the way that the application is architected itself has to be built to be resilient, right? So you can't rely on the infrastructure. And pretty much cloud native applications are built with the assumption that your infrastructure 
infrastructure is not resilient. It's a different world in terms of how you develop, right? In the traditional world, we kind of move the responsibility for resiliency to the infrastructure and applications were developed with the assumption that the infrastructure was resilient. In the cloud native world, you actually develop with the assumption that your infrastructure is not resilient and the application has to take care of that resilience. So honestly, is everything going cloud native? Probably not. We are now in a world where there's still a lot of enterprise applications, right? And as we move these to the cloud using, you know, a virtual machine type way of hosting them, we have to change the way that we think of resilient infrastructure, where we have to do backups per VM, replication per VM. And that's the route that HPE is moving into with our disaster recovery capabilities and our backup and recovery capabilities. And then on the further, you know, modernization end, it's about applications that are written to be resilient. However, if I look at resilient applications, most of those are written for data availability, not necessarily written for durability, especially on historical data. And what I mean by that is, you know, today for backups, you know, you have daily backups, you keep your data for seven years, we can easily restore a state of what things were seven years ago. Cloud native applications tend to, you know, write three copies of everything, use that type of approach where there are multiple copies to keep data durability, but is there a way to keep snapshots of all of the data so that we can roll back, right? Or someone went and deleted it on purpose, you want to restore. <laughs> that is not necessarily something that the application developers take into account. If I could segue a bit, okay, I was talking yeah. to a couple of CIOs and more recently some CFOs. We were talking about data as it exists in an enterprise. Now, in a typical large enterprise, you've got data that is being used by finance, sales, marketing operations, purchasing, yeah. and they all own a piece of the data and they, they say, okay, they, I use the word own. Okay, They yeah. own a piece of the data because they produce that data and they're, they have to do analysis or decision making around that data. When you have data all over the place in an enterprise yeah. and, and and with remote working, you it's even worse because then you have data in a, a offsite somewhere on somebody's machine, parts of it anyway. How do you achieve data resilience when you have data all over the place? I mean, number one, I think, you know, you need to inventory your data estate, right? And I think that's the first problem that organizations have is, is there one person or one organization who knows where all the data is being placed and what is the security and resilience of that data, right? And what is the value of that data as well? And, and I think the first thing that companies need to do is, is do an audit of their data estate, audit of how they're generating data. And I think especially for listed companies, this is becoming more and more important because we say data is the new oil, data is the new currency. We need to treat it with the respect it deserves. And I think oftentimes we don't, especially when it comes to that data sprawl. And so that audit becomes important. That inventory becomes important. And then after that inventory, there needs to be a decision-making framework for figuring out how you protect each piece of data and potentially some data you should be getting rid of on purpose because the cost of protecting it is more important than the value of that data to the business. Now we're coming to the end of our pod chat here. The question I have for you, we're middle of the year, but actually we're past middle of the year and coming <laughs> end of July already. With technology evolving and businesses' priorities changing as well in line with market dynamics, how do you ensure that your data resilience strategy may, you may have developed last year remains relevant next year when you don't necessarily know what's the next year, what the environment would look like next year? 
I think at the end of the day, right, there is no perfect data resilience strategy and it can't be standstill, right? It changes every year, as you said. Business priorities change every year as well. And so on an you know, annual or regular basis, a review should be done on what the strategy is and classifying the different types of data and their value to the business. You know, it's not something that can be set and forget. It needs to be something that is reviewed on a very regular basis. Joseph, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you. That was Joseph Yang, General Manager for Storage and Data Services at HPE Asia Pacific on the topic of achieving data resilience in a multi-cloud world. You're listening to Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcast for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcast for Future CIO. Bye for now.